all this month we're taking time to reflect and remember what we're here for. Uh, there's a purpose, there's a reason that we haven't been whisked away. Uh, as soon as you received Christ into your life, you weren't taken up to heaven, you're, you're still here on this planet. And we believe that one of the reasons that we're still here, that God has us here, is that He wants something communicated to the next generation. Uh, the theme verse in my life has been Psalm seventy-one, eighteen. Even when I'm old and gray, Lord, do not forsake me until I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Uh, it's rooted in me. It's rooted in many of our staff. And uh, so this month has been a time where we're remembering, and you're seeing a lot of young people, again, that one of the core values of this church is passing the baton of faith and leadership to the next generation. And uh, we started last week a new series, the beginning of May. Uh, we're going to continue it on till the last week of May. We were having a special uh, speaker from Compassion, a former uh, sponsored child uh, from uh, another country who's going to be coming and sharing their testimony. But um, we started a series called One Moment. And talking about the impact that one moment can have in the life of a young person, uh, that moment causing a ripple effect in, throughout their whole life, even though that one moment is long uh, happened in the past and forgotten. And uh, last week we talked about the impact of just a moment to instill worth in a young person and how each of us have worth in God's eyes, whether we're young or whether we're old. Psalm 139 talks about how we're fearfully and wonderfully made, that God knew us in our mother's womb, and that God thinks about us, that He has thoughts about you and me that outnumber the grains of sand. That means that you have worth, no matter who you are, whether you believe in Jesus Christ or not, you have worth in God's eyes. Today I want to share with you from the life of Daniel and friends how it takes just a moment for character to be passed on into the life of a young person around you or around me. And I, I want to share some instances where the character of Daniel and his friends shine. And every time that I share one of these instances, I want you to ask yourself, how did that get there? How did that character get there? Now, if you're 23 and younger, I want you to ask the question instead, how did they hang on to that? How did they stand like that? All right? Because sometimes character uh, comes forth in moments where we're required to stand and stand in a way that sometimes we stand alone. Now, if you look into the account uh, of Daniel about he and his friends in exile uh, in, a, in a foreign land, you'll see immediately in Daniel chapter 1 the first shining instance of character coming through. So if you got a Bible, you can turn to Daniel 1, put your finger there. And while you're doing that, I want to give you a little background on Daniel and his friends. Their parent-given names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now in storytelling, Daniel, uh, three friends, uh, they're remembered as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're, but those are their Babylonian given names. You see, they were given these new names uh, when they entered into the king's service. Now, Daniel was also given a name, although in storytelling, he's always remembered as Daniel in the lion's den. But his, God, his uh, Babylonian name was Belshazzar. All these names had to do with foreign gods, gods that these young men knew nothing about or nor uh, taught to worship. But it was all part of a three-year training program that these young exiles were chosen to be a part of. Daniel and his friends, when they lived uh, uh, in, back in Judah as children and teens, their parents must have somehow been related to royalty 
or served uh, in the royal court as officials. And uh, because of this, uh, they were the ones that were chosen to go into exile. Now, uh, their parents, and maybe a few of them, may have actually served under the young king named Josiah, who led the nation in a, in a revival, a return to God. But that ended with Josiah's premature death and uh, the besieging of Jerusalem. And some of the people in Jerusalem were executed. Others were taken prisoner into Babylon. Some were left behind. The king and most everyone connected with the royal family were deported to Babylon. And they were the trophies of the king. So it's unclear uh, from Daniel's account whether his family uh, and, and his friend's family, whether they were killed, whether they came with them, or they remained in Jerusalem. But it does seem clear that Daniel and friends uh, are by them, they're on their own. They're, they're not connected or close to their family uh, in Babylon. So the training that the young, the young men were, were receiving was to prepare them for in, being in service for the king. Now just getting into the training didn't guarantee selection for service. Now it's interesting that, uh, that they were learning in this learning program, and they were learning about Chaldean literature, Chaldean language, uh, the poly polytheistic culture of worship of many gods, and that Daniel and friends, they didn't object to this. They didn't object to learning and thinking about ideas different from their upbringing. They didn't even protest about their renaming, even though their renaming had to do with these foreign gods. Now, Daniel and friends, see, what they did is they didn't reject Babylonian culture outright out of hand. But they did choose. And they did see some things where they did have to draw a line. And they did say, you know what? I can tolerate this. I can learn about this. I will do this for you. But I will not do this or that. They made some choices. And there were some points where they drew a line in the sand. And even though they were immersed in Babylonian culture, they didn't succumb to the evil that was in it. So let me quickly tell you three instances where these young men's characters shine through. And I want you, each time you hear one of these instances, I want you to ask the question, how did they get that? And if you're 23 and younger, I want you to ask, how did they hang on to that? <coughs> the first instance in a shiny moment of character is the character trait of purity. You know, Daniel friends, as I said earlier, there's no fuss about learning foreign culture. There was no fuss about them getting new names. But when it came to purity, Daniel and his friends take a stand. Daniel and friends had chosen early in their life to honor God with their bodies, to choose to eat only certain foods and drink, to honor God with their bodies. The new training they were in had them at the king's table eating the king's food, and it had stuff that they were trying to abstain from. <coughs> Daniel doesn't get ugly at this point and, and tell everyone, hey, you're sinners because you're eating this food that's not really good for you. He doesn't get all holy and uh, you know, self-righteous about what he eats and what others don't eat. Instead, he just asks, hey, could we have some different food to accommodate our needs? And the king's official and guard, they're kind of scratching their heads. They've never seen anything like this, never heard of anything like this before. And, and so they're a little cautious. So Daniel pushes it a little further. and says, hey, just do this for me. Give me a 10-day test. We'll eat the special diet. Everybody else eats what's from the king's table. And after 10 days, if we don't look healthy, if we don't look fit, then, then put us back on the king's table. 
And so they agree. And of course, the test succeeds, and the official and guard, they agree to make the change permanent for Daniel and his friends. Now, I just want to ask, how did that character trait of purity get in those guys, and how is it that they held on to it in the face of those difficult cultural challenges? I mean, everyone else was doing it. I mean, why not just go along with the program? Why object or try to be different on this one point? You know, you know, maybe some of your parents have experienced this. You, you send your kids to school, whether it's elementary, high school, or college, and, and you hear these glowing reports from teachers. Oh, they're just so well-behaved. Oh, they're so polite, and, and, they, and they serve. And, and you're like, you talking about my kid? It's like, I want to see some of that around home. And so somewhere along the line, they learned something, they saw something, and it came out in a different place. Well, this is kind of what happened with Daniel and his friends, and there was a certain thing that they held on to, that even though there were other things they let go of, their names, some of their culture, they held on to purity. Why? Well, has anyone ever told you or taught you that purity is a trait that God desires in His people? Now, if nobody has, I don't fault you for that. It, I mean, it was other people's fault that they didn't teach you or tell you that. But I just want you to know that there are a lot of people who haven't been taught that in this world. A lot of people have been told that. So if this is the first time you're hearing this, I just want you to go, okay, just, just think about it, soak it up, and, and, and I want you to contemplate this, okay? Do you know that your body, if you are a Christ follower, invited Christ into your life, that your body is the temple, it's the house for the Holy Spirit whom God has given to you. If you've been crucified with Christ and He's first and you're second, then you're not your own. You've been bought at a price. That price was Jesus on the cross. So honor God with your body. You know, I've heard people say, you know what, I'm eating this special food and I'm not eating that kind of food because I'm trying to lose weight. Or I'm working out at the gym on this many days because I want my body to be nice and fit. And, and I've heard people say, well, I'm not having sex until I'm getting married because I'm saving myself for my future husband or my future wife. And you know what, those are all great reasons. Those are all great reasons to do those things. But do you want to know a better reason? I'm eating this or that for God so he can have a stronger body, a stronger instrument to work through. I'm not having sex until I'm married because I'm saving myself for God because he likes to work through pure vessels. I mean, listen to God's instruction to a young man called Timothy. It's in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20-21. In a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, but some for ignoble. If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he'll be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, and prepared for any good work. You know, if you're here and you've experienced grace, the grace of God firsthand, I want to tell you that the kingdom of God is looking for young men and young women who are ready to say to the culture around them, no, I'm sorry, I'm keeping myself prepared for the good stuff that God wants me to be a part of. We need some young women and young men who will say that. 
Yes, it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to the ungodliness and worldly passions of our culture and to live self-control, pure and godly lives in the 21st century. Now, how did the character of purity get so imprinted on Daniel and his friends that they took that stand without parents being around, grandpa and grandma, and cousins and aunts and uncles in their church? How is it that they took that stand in the midst of so many pressures around them? I'll tell you in a minute. Here's the next shining moment of character. It's found in chapter 3 and chapter 6 of Daniel. And the character trait is integrity. Daniel and his friends begin to excel in their jobs, and they keep getting promoted. And this kind of rubs the guys that they were in that training program the wrong way. I mean, these guys that were in the training program that are also, some of them got hired and are working in the, in the new government administration of, of the Babylonian king, they're Babylonians. I mean, they, they know the culture. They embrace the magic, the, 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 the gods, the idolatry. They, they embrace all that, and here these guys are, immigrants, taking jobs away from Babylonians and getting promoted. What's up with that? So it kind of rubs them the wrong way. And so over some time, they start thinking about ways that they can get rid of these immigrant guys. And uh, one of the times, uh, the king gets convinced uh, he's going to set up an idol. He's going to set up a 90-foot tall statue, and, and he's going to play a bunch of music. It's going to be really fun, a lot of festivity. And when the music plays, everybody's going to bow down to this statue. And, uh, and so he gathers everybody up and, and the whole administration and the whole city. The 90-foot tall statue is unveiled. The music begins to play, and everybody bows down except for three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. They won't do it. They won't bow down. Another instance happens, and this is in chapter 6, where uh, some of the colleagues who are jealous of Daniel, they want to find a way to trap him. They want to find a way to get rid of him. And so they have to make up a new rule to, find, to get him to break a rule. So they make up a rule that, he, that they know he will have to break. They make up the rule that nobody can pray to anyone but the king. And if they pray to anyone but the king during this period of time, they're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And so Daniel instead doesn't play for the trick. He continues his practice of prayer to God as he always had, not altering his practice of praying on his balcony. You know, what's up with that? What's up with Daniel and friends doing this? I mean, couldn't Daniel and friends, I mean, when, the, when the, the statues unveiled, the music played, couldn't they just go, okay, Lord, you know in my heart I'm not bowing down. You know in my heart that you are God, you're number one, but I'm doing this so I just don't get killed. But they didn't. I mean, they could have just said, I was just going through the motions. I didn't mean it in my heart. I mean, what about Daniel? I mean, why couldn't he just, well, you know, I usually play on my balcony. I'll still pray. I'll just keep the doors closed and... And I won't do my usual practice. He's like, no, I'm going to do what I've always done because it's right and it's good. And I'm not going to bow down to this crazy, stupid pressure of this idiotic law that they threw out there that's man-made. Daniel and his friends were displaying integrity, doing what is right no matter what. 
doing what is right even when no one is looking, doing what is right when everyone is looking. You know, the other part of integrity with these young people is that they owned up to the truth. Yes, they knew the punishment for not going along with the crowd. They knew the punishment for holding to what they knew what was right in God's eyes. They made up no excuses. There was no defending themselves. They just said, yes, king, we cannot and will not bow down to your idol, even if it means being executed in your fiery furnace. Now, that kind of integrity and those kind of instances are very dramatic. Very dramatic. But we probably run into less dramatic instances that happen to us all the time. And I just want to ask, how in the world did those young people hang on to that integrity? How, how did it get in them? How did it get in them? And how does it get in us? And, and here's the question. Has anyone ever told you or taught you that integrity is important? That, that, that God desires integrity in His people. Desires it from you. I mean, the truth is, is maybe no one told you, no one taught you. And if that's the case, that, you know, it's not your fault. But, and so maybe this is the first time you've heard about it. And if it is, I, I'm glad. And, and maybe it's new to you. And, and so just think about it. Just contemplate about it. Let it roll around in your head. All right? But I, I just want to tell you today that integrity is important to God's, and He wants to see it in His people. You know what? Here's an instance maybe that happens. Someone offers you a good deal. Only if you'll pay cash under the table keeping it off the company records to avoid fees and taxes. You know, saving money is a good thing, right? But is it right when you do wrong to others by denying their part, not paying the fees, not paying the taxes? I mean, what does integrity do in that instance? You know, if you don't draw the line there, then where and when will you draw the line? So how does integrity get in us? How did it get in those young people in such a way that they took a stand owning up the truth no matter what? I'll tell you in a minute. Here's a, a third instance of character with Daniel and his friends. And it's, it's the character trait of compassion. In chapter 2 of Daniel, the king has a dream and he wants it interpreted by his wise men, his astrologers, his magicians. The only problem is, is that king is not going to tell them what the dream is. And all the astrologers are like, hey king, this is not the way it works. I mean, usually you tell us the dream and then we interpret it. And the king's like, uh-uh-uh. If you really got superpowers, if you really got stuff and insight from the gods, then I want you to tell me what I dreamed and tell me what the interpretation is. I'm keeping my mouth closed. You got this much time, and then if you don't come up with it, I'm going to kill you. And he was serious. And so the news gets back to Daniel, and Daniel doesn't panic, but in that moment, Daniel uh, sends a message through one of the king's officials and said, Give, give us some time. I'll ask God to interpret this dream for you. And so he's given the time. And during that time, he gathers up his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they have a big prayer meeting. And they're praying that God would reveal the dream before the time's up and reveal the interpretation of the dream. And so they're praying. And when the deadline comes, God gives the dream to Daniel. And Daniel marches in. He gives credit to God and says, King, this is what it is. This is what your dream the king is amazed, you, you know, and then he interprets the dream. And, of course, at that point, Daniel and his friends, they all get promoted, and all his friends get, and all the astrologers and magicians get executed. No, that isn't what happened. Daniel saves the lives of all those magicians, astrologers, 
those men that really were his enemies, Daniel has compassion on them. He saved not only his own life, but he saved the life of others. Compassion. Where did that come from? How did those young men get that? How did that get in them? Well, I'll tell you in a minute. Now for the young women here in the room, I just want to point out one of Daniel's contemporaries who isn't mentioned here in Daniel, but has her own book, Esther. And there's another reason I'm bringing her up. It's not just because she's a female example. But Esther has the shining character of true beauty. She was, she was put into a similar training program, but it was kind of an interesting program of that culture. And maybe it would be called today, How to Please a Man, or How to Get What You Want Through Physical Beauty. Uh, but even though Esther was trained in this way, she didn't buy into it. And instead, she used the gift of her beauty not to manipulate, but to motivate her husband, King, to protect her people. And the beauty of her spirit was shined through. The beauty of her spirit was cultivated and encouraged by an uncle named Mordecai because her parents weren't there in her life. You know, you can see her contrast uh, with other women in the Bible, uh, like Herodias's daughter, who danced and used her beauty to get what she wanted, or rather what her manipulative mother wanted, John the Baptist's head on a platter. Now, why didn't Esther fall in line with, with this, fall in line with the others that were in her beauty training school, and go into this manipulative route? You know, somehow, somewhere, the character of true beauty was impressed upon her. And that is the key word for us today, impressed. And it's now what I want to point you towards in the how of character being imparted to young people. Here is how God designed it, and, it's in, and His design for imparting character is recorded in Deuteronomy 6. Now, you might look at this and read it with me, and you might go, well, that's, that's the Jewish way, that's the Hebrew way. No, it's God's way. We are God's people. We follow God's instructions. And this is what, how He instructs that we can impart character to the young people in our lives. This is it. Listen. Hear, my people, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Do you know what this is talking about? You know what this is describing? Moments. A moment when you're sitting together at home. That's when character is passed on. A moment when you're out walking together. That's when character is imparted. A moment when you're getting ready to tuck everyone in bed. That's when character is passed on. A moment when you're getting ready in the morning, getting ready for your day. That's when character is impressed. When you have a moment of doing your work with your hands. It's not just about having something symboled, uh, tied onto you or tattooed uh, to remind you. It's about what you're doing with your hands. It, and, and it's a moment when you're sharing your minds and your thoughts it's not just about tying a box on your head and having scripture written across your forehead it's about what's there in your mind and what you're sharing how was character impressed in such a way that it didn't depart from these young people they went to a bible class no that wasn't it was it they went to catechism or christ follower training 
No, that's, that's not how it was impressed upon them either. They, oh, this is it. They went to a Christian high school. That's how it was impressed upon them. No, no, guys. Right here, what it says, it's in the day-to-day moments with mom and dad or in Esther's case with that close relative or adult mentor who's there in those ordinary moments of life. You see, it's during the ordinary moments that you're going to be doing something that has moral significance. It's going to be a choice that involves character in those ordinary moments. And it's going to be the right moment when that kid or that young person is looking at you and they're seeing the picture of you living out a choice and then you add your words, you add your thoughts to that picture and you say, son, daughter, this is why I'm doing this. Young man, young woman, this is why this is important. You're not just impressing a philosophy of life, but you're impressing the living and active Word of God. When He is your reason for doing what you do and saying what you're saying, impression happens. This is the impression of God. The impression that God says to impress on your children. It's not to force it on them. It's not to punish it into them. It's not to talk it into them. Impress them upon your children like shaping soft clay in the ordinary moments. But get this important part, everyone. Everyone who's over 23. It starts with you. It starts with that significant adult. It starts with it being on your heart first. Deuteronomy 6.6 says the word is to be upon your heart. You see, you can't pass character unless you have it yourself. You can't give something that you don't have. Purity, integrity, compassion, true beauty. Guys in the band that can come on up, set things up. So, for some of us, we might be scratching our heads going, "Uh uh-oh, if I can't pass along what I don't have, how do I get it? Because I need it. And this young person in my life needs it. Well, you can still catch it. You can still get it impressed on you the same way that your kids do. Get around some people with character. Get around them in the ordinary moments so that you can see what integrity looks like lived out in the 21st century. Get some people around you who are living out true beauty. Living it out in the ordinary moments. You know, it happens one moment at a time. Even for us adults, clay of our hearts may not be as soft as some young people, but we are still impressionable. It can still be done because the power of the living Word of God is still powerful today. So what if you're a parent, a mentor, a foster parent, an uncle or an aunt who's blown it in one of these ordinary moments? I mean, in in that ordinary moment, instead of, you know, uh, displaying compassion, you, you did the exact opposite. I mean, you're uh, walking along the road or I guess driving along the road in your minivan and, and it wasn't a moment of compassion. The kids are in the back seat fighting and yelling at each other and you didn't turn around in compassion and mercy and forgiveness but instead you turned around in rage <laughs> and the kids stop or I'm pulling this van over and we're all getting out and, and blah, 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 blah. You know, what do you do when you have a moment like that? You blew that ordinary moment. Well, look, even those of us who've had character impressed on us 
at a young age, we've blown it. We have all blown it in the ordinary moment. So here is what you do when you've blown it in an ordinary moment. Kids, I just need to say I'm sorry. I blew it. I chose the wrong thing. I said the wrong thing. I reacted the wrong way. And that's not what I desire to do. I desire to honor God with my choices, with my life, all the time, every moment. Forgive me, kids. I I didn't set you a good example. I'm not perfect, but I long to be perfected. You know, for every one of us here, it's true that we've blown it in one of these areas or, or all of these areas, integrity, purity, compassion, true beauty, or other areas of character. You know, maybe you don't even have a kid that maybe in some way you've, you've blown it in front of them. You didn't offend them with your actions. But you know what's true for all of us when we blow it in character? We offend God and His sense of character. And that's called sin. It's simple. But, but here's the thing, guys. I mean, you, I think most of you know this by now. God forgives sin. God forgives. He, when you ask His forgiveness, He washes away that place where you failed. But He can do more than that. In Jesus Christ, through His Spirit, He can supply what we lack. What does it say in James? If any of you lacks wisdom, that's a character trait of God, ask ask for it, and God will give it to you. Look, I, I believe this is true not just for the one character trait of wisdom, but for other traits from God, godly traits. And if we lack them, but desire them to be evident in us, we can pray with trust, and God will supply where we lack But know that the number one way that God usually supplies these things is through people who already got it. It's still, it's not just going to be pray, but it's going to be pray and God put some people around me to show me what this looks like. You know, one other thing that you might be scratching your head on is like, man, I I don't know, these ordinary moments, walking down the road, sitting at the table, man, we're never together as a family. And if that's the case, if none of those ordinary moments are happening, then, then I, I want to challenge you that you're going to have to make some margins. You know, you're, you know, the margins around the page, some people write all the way to the edge of the page. They don't leave any space between it. And that's what you've done. You've written all the way to the edge of the page. There's no blank or white space anywhere on the paper. And you're going to have to get a new sheet of paper and you're going to have to learn how to keep some margins, keep some boundaries, so you can have some of those ordinary moments. And maybe some of you are like, man, I don't even know what ordinary is anymore. And maybe you just need a sounding board to sit down with somebody and say, this is my life. This is what, tell, me, tell me what's ordinary. Tell me what's, what's normal. I, I don't know anymore. Just ask God, too. He'll tell you. So, right now, it's a time for us to ask God's Spirit to supply what we lack. I, I'd like you guys all to stand with me right now. We're going to continue in our worship. You know, we just passed a time on the calendar where Christians mark and remember Pentecost, the time that God began filling His people with His Spirit. And what I like us to do as we worship, that just in our hearts and our minds, that we would ask Him to fill us anew, fill us fresh with His Spirit. And let's ask Him to supply where we lack. God can do that. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, in these moments of worship, we do seek You.
and ask you supply what we can't generate on our own. Lord, we need you to generate it by your spirit. We need what we lack. We need what you have, your character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, wisdom, purity. Lord, supply to your people what they need. In Jesus' name, amen.